Hi, and welcome to the All About Everest podcast, episode 15, Sir Edmund Hillary. So this week's episode is going to be about Sir Edmund Hillary, who, along with Tenzing Norgay, was one of the two people who first summited Mount Everest. People often forget that it was a duo that first made the summit, and... This week's episode is about Sir Edmund Hillary, and next week's will be about Tenzing Norgay. So here we go. All right, as usual, before we get to the actual podcast, just a couple Mount Everest updates and also housekeeping, if you will. So everything that could go wrong last week went wrong. The car died, all the phones died, the internet died, like nothing went right last week and I had recorded this podcast episode I uploaded it and I found out today that not only did it not upload but it didn't save either so I've had to re-record the whole thing so today's podcast episode is about Sir Edmund Hillary and then it was supposed to be about Tenzing Norgay so I have to do back-to-back episodes again so the one about Tenzing Norgate will be on Friday. Hopefully now that camping season has started for us, life will just calm down and everything will go the way that it's supposed to instead of everything going wrong all at the same time. All right, for your Everest updates for this week, there really isn't a lot. Everyone has started their rotations either up to the higher camps or they're climbing some of the other peaks just so that they can acclimatize. It takes a couple weeks to get your body used to the altitude and so what the climbers do is they go up a little bit and come down and then they go up a little bit higher and come down. They go up a little bit higher and then come down. It's so that there's so that their bodies are used to the altitude because most of us live at a very low elevation or lower elevations. And if you take those jumps all at once, then you're more likely to develop altitude sickness, hate, haste, things like that. And if you do get those things, then you put not only yourself at risk, but your team at risk because you have a higher chance of dying. So that's why they do their rotations. Um, They've started fixing the ropes up to camp four. So that's good. And we've also had the first Everest summits of the season. On April 30th, 11 people summited from the Tibetan side. It was a Tibetan team. And then yesterday or today depending on the time zone 13 climbers from a chinese scientist group they summited and their whole point or their whole goal of reaching the summit was that they installed a new weather station i almost said space station that would have been funny they installed a new weather station so hopefully it will help collect more data so that we can better understand not only the weather, weather, but be able to better better predict the weather 
on Mount Everest because what's really important is those good weather windows. And because technology has gotten so better over the years, they're able to predict what the jet stream is doing. Um, there are years that that window is so short, you know, just a couple of days. And then there are years where that weather window is much larger. And if you don't have a good weather window, your chances of summiting Mount Everest don't necessarily become lower, but it makes it more difficult and the chance of fatalities increases. And back 30 years ago, they couldn't necessarily predict it as well as they can now. So it's kind of a life-saving measure. So we haven't seen a lot of action yet on the Nepali side of Mount Everest, but that should be increasing in the next couple of weeks because this is when historically um, the summit attempts come from the Nepali side. It could be anywhere from this first week in May all the way through the last week in May. So we should be seeing a little bit more action in the next couple of weeks. Um, there are a total of 316 permits issued. Out of those permits, there are 39, 39 teams that are climbing. Um, 243 permits have been issued for men and 73 for women. The permits are a, a lot lower than normal. A lot of it does have to do with COVID and concerns about the Kumbu ice fell um, and things like that, mainly safety issues. So there is definitely a lot less people on the mountain. So that may mean that the risk is a little bit lower because overcrowding has become an issue in the last couple of years. Out of all of those permits, three have been issued for Israelis. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I have dual citizenship. I am both American and Israeli, and I'm so excited about the Israeli climbers this year. Um, if you don't know, Israel's basically in the desert, and there really aren't any mountains. There's one mountain in all of Israel, if you want to call it that, and that's Mount Hermon. So the Israeli climbers that want to train for Mount Everest, they have to do it elsewhere because Israel has no snow and is at sea level. So far, um, only five Israelis have summited Mount Everest. The first one was Doron Elel in 1992. And the last Israeli to summit Mount Everest was last year. It was Danielle Wolfson. She was not only the first female Israeli to summit Mount Everest, but she was the fifth Israeli to summit. And it's a pretty big achievement, especially thinking of where all these climbers come from. They have to take that extra step and work a little bit harder, especially because, you know, they, they can't stay in country and really train. They have to go, you know, if it's the Alps, if it's Kilimanjaro, if it's going to the United States or South America, 
but a lot of their high altitude training, especially with snow and ice, has to be done in other mountains. So I'm really excited to see who the three Israeli climbers are this year and if they'll reach it, if they'll get all the way to the top of the summit. So I'm just going to cheer a little bit for them and everyone else who's climbing, but I do have a particular interest in them. All right, so this week's episode is about Sir Edmund Hillary, which didn't post last week, so I re-recorded it. And then this week's podcast episode, which I already mentioned, was supposed to be about Tenzing Norgay, and that one will post on Friday. So here we go. On May 29th, 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay became the first people recorded at the summit of Mount Everest. And it was a huge achievement because other people had tried beforehand, including George Mallory and Andrew Sandy Irvine. It was a really big deal at the time. And even though Sir Edmund Hillary got a lot of the credit for it, it was two people who completed that achievement of getting that first recorded summit. And one of the things is that over the years, more and more people have recognized Tenzing Norgay's achievement as well. I think a lot of it has to do with that Western, Eastern, local mentality, which has obviously changed. And... I think it's an amazing thing. When we think about the summit of Mount Everest, I don't think that either of them, either Tenzing Norgay or Sir Edmund Hillary, could have reached the summit without having the other one there. I think it would have been impossible, especially knowing a lot of the risks and also that there were a lot of new things that were implemented and tried. They took all of this experience from other people and all of the information that had been collected over the years. And I think that without each other and without all of that information and data and experience and things like that, they wouldn't have reached the summit. Even though Sir Edmund Hillary is most famous for his summit of Mount Everest in 1953, one of the things is, is that he was a big anthropologist. He helped create a lot of humanitarian efforts, if you will, in Nepal, and he really loved the people. He wasn't just a mountaineer. He was a New Zealander. He was a veteran of World War II. He was a father, a brother, and he was an apiarist. And if you don't know what that is, it's a beekeeper. It's a pretty cool job. I think that one of the coolest things about these climbers that reach Mount Everest or even attempt it they come from all walks of life and 
one of the things that I noticed with Sir Edmund Hillary being a World War II vet, George Mallory was also a vet as well, just of World War I. So that was a neat little thing that I noticed that they had in common. So not only did Mallory and Hillary have the fact that they served in world wars as a common factor, but the other thing too is that they were both injured in the wars that they served. And I thought that was another interesting fact. Sir Edmund Percival Hillary was born on July 20th, 1919 in New Zealand. And for whatever reason, I always thought he was British until I watched that miniseries on Amazon Prime. I didn't know a lot about him, but for whatever reason, I thought that he was from Great Britain. I didn't realize that he was from New Zealand, which New Zealand seems to have a lot of uh, mountaineers coming from there. His parents were really religious and his dad was very strict and was a pacifist. I'm wondering if the reason why Hillary's father, Percival, was such a pacifist and almost anti-war was because he also served in a war prior to settling down and having children. I know that my dad, being in the military and also being in a war, he never wanted any of his children to join any military and he really struggled with his kids that did serve active military in different countries. Hillary was very shy while he was in elementary school. He became a little bit more comfortable as a teenager, but he was tall and gangly. He was six foot two and he always seemed to be kind of awkward. Just like George Mallory, his interest in climbing, and he started climbing, when is when he was in high school. So when Hillary was 16, he discovered his love of mountaineering. It started when he joined the local tramping club. Tramping is another word for hill walking, also known as hiking. After he graduated high school, he went on to college. He only lasted about two years, and then he decided to drop out. He joined his dad and his brother Rex, and they raised bees. Working as a beekeeper, also known as an apiarist, it was perfect for him and his lifestyle because in the summer he would work with the bees and then in the winter time he would go on his climbing and mountaineering expeditions. When World War II broke out, Ed decided that he wanted to join the military and shortly after he volunteered and submitted his paperwork, he withdrew it saying that 
he had been bullied. His dad was known as a pacifist and was against the war. And his brother Rex even served four years in a detention camp for being considered a conscientious objector. Ed had an exemption because he was in agriculture and beekeeping is considered agriculture work and necessary work. But towards the end of the war, he decided to go anyway. It was after the Japanese were getting pretty active in the Pacific and also there was an active conscription. So even though he was injured while he was in the military, it wasn't a war wound. There was a freak accident on a motorboat and there was something to do with the engine and he was burnt pretty severely. So because of his injury, he went to convalesce and rest and heal in the Alps. And while he was there, he met Harry Ayers. And this is basically what jump-started the whole Everest expedition. This was the connection that he made that would put him on that path. Because Harry became his mentor, but Harry also made the introduction to Eric Shipton. Eric Shipton was known as a great expedition leader. He had already led several expeditions to Mount Everest and among the Himalayas. And he was the one who suggested, or Ayers was the one who suggested to Shipton that he should have Edmund Hillary join the 1953 Everest expedition. Everybody thought that Eric Shipton was going to be the one that was going to lead the 1953 Everest expedition, but then it got kind of political and the Joint Himalayan Committee of the Alpine Club and the Royal Geographical Society, they decided that John Hunt would lead it. By then, most of the expedition members had already been handpicked, so Hillary was already included on that expedition. When they arrived at Mount Everest, that is when Edmund Hillary met Tenzing Norgay. Well, essentially, it was actually at the beginning before they got to Mount Everest, but... They had decided, the decision makers, or basically John Hunt, had decided there were going to be two groups that were going to attempt the summit. And Hillary and Norgay were not in that first group. When the expedition arrived at Mount Everest, they already had a plan. And a lot of it was based on the experience of other climbers, including George Mallory. So on April 12th, 1953, the Icefall Party, which was basically the group of people who are going to create a route through the Kumbu Icefall, started doing their work. Um, they created 
a pathway through the ice fall. And back then they didn't use ladders. They used logs, ropes, whatever they could find. And then they started moving up the mountain, establishing the little mini camps that we know them today as camp one, camp two, camp three, camp four, so that there was places to stop along the way. This is the same exact method that the expeditions climbing Mount Everest today use. If you've listened to the previous podcast episodes and all of the updates, they do the same exact thing. The icefall doctors go in. They usually start in March, maybe the beginning of April. They start clearing the route through the icefall and then establishing those camps and fixing the fixed lines. So apparently it worked because they continue to do that to this day and it's what made Tenzing Norgay and Sir Edmund Hillary successful in reaching the summit of Mount Everest in 1953. Definitely don't fix what isn't broken. The first climbing pair, which was Tim Bordelon and Charles Evans, they attempted to reach the summit on May 26th. They made it all the way up to what is now known as the Hillary Step, but because Evans was having some oxygen issues, he they weren't able to make it to the top. So on May 27th, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay were the second team to make the second attempt on the summit and they were successful. They're the first recorded people to reach the summit of Mount Everest. Reaching the summit of Mount Everest was a huge thing, especially for the British Empire at the time because so many expeditions from different countries had created this competition almost of who was going to reach the top first that started back in the 1920s when all of those British expeditions attempted to reach the summit and then you had the French and the Swedish and everyone else but not even that the same time that Hillary and Norgay summited, it was Queen Elizabeth's coronation. So Hillary was recognized. He became famous. He got a knighthood, medals, so much out of it. But Tenzing Norgay did not. It was like his achievement was diminished at the time. Nowadays, they both get equal credit, but back then, there was some controversy. Uh, part of it might have, ha might have had been because of the culture at the time, but also Norgay was not fluent in English. And there was an interview that came across a little bit different. And nowadays, because cultural differences are recognized, I don't think that would be the case. 
one of the things that I've mentioned previously is that Norgay and Hillary, they had mentioned seeing evidence of Yetis when they were at Everest base camp, which I think is pretty interesting. Hillary struggled a little bit with all of this notoriety. I mean, he was this humble agriculturalist. He was a beekeeper from New Zealand. And all of a sudden he became famous because he had reached the top of Mount Everest, something that so many people thought was not attainable and it was celebrated and he struggled a little bit with it. The same year that Edmund Hillary summited Mount Everest, he married Louise Mary Rose on September 3rd, 1953. They had three children together, Peter, who was born in 1954, Sarah, who was born in 1956, and Belinda, who was born in 1959. You may have heard of Peter Hillary. He has also built his name in mountaineering and is very well known for that. And I mentioned, I've mentioned several times in my Everest updates for this season that he and his family are supposed to be filming a new documentary that is supposed to come out next year celebrating 70 years since Sir Edmund Hillary summited Mount Everest. In the years after his Everest summit, he traveled all over the world, but he kept New Zealand as his home. And one of his biggest passions and achievements as a philanthropist was that he established the Himalayan Trust, which supports the Sherpas and the Himalayan communities. He has helped build schools and hospitals in some of the most remote areas in the Himalayas, and that was his passion. He devoted the rest of his life in helping the Himalayan and Nepali communities. He was very proud of it, and he was vocal about it. He created awareness and so many people have supported his mission of making life better in that region. He did have some tragedy in his life. Um, in 1975, while he was in Nepal helping to build a hospital, his wife Louise and daughter Belinda died in a plane crash while they were taking off from Kathmandu. It was so difficult for him. And also over the years, he lost a lot of mountaineering friends. As I've mentioned, the mountaineering community is really small and there's just tragedies all the time. It's not just on Mount Everest, it's other mountains as well. And that's just part of mountaineering, the tragedy and the death. In fact, one of Hillary's closest friends, Peter Mulgrew, who was also known for his expeditions and mountaineering, was killed in the Erebus disaster. And what that was is that 
it was a sightseeing plane that would go to Antarctica and it crashed. Peter Mulgrew was one of the people who died on that airplane crash. And later, Hillary actually married Peter Mulgrew's wife. I think they had a lot in common. Um, she knew what expedition and mountaineering life was. It wasn't brand new to her. But they had also lost loved ones in plane crashes. And it was, they were good partners. They were good friends. And it was just an, a good match overall. Sir Edmund Hillary died on January 11th, 2008. He was 88 years old and he lived a very long life, especially for someone in the mountaineering community because some of the greatest climbers have died in their 40s and 50s when they're still pretty young. He accomplished a lot in his lifetime, including one of the biggest accomplishments of the 20th century, and that was reaching the summit of Mount Everest. So if you want to know more about Sir Edmund Hillary, there's several books about him. There's a really good miniseries and also the documentary that was made about summiting Mount Everest, which for whatever reason, I thought I had watched it before, but I didn't watch it until last week. And it's actually pretty good, especially being made in 1953. For recommended reading, I would suggest that you read View from the Summit, written by Sir Edmund Hillary, and also Edmund Hillary, a biography written by Michael Gill and Bruce Hopkins. The miniseries Hillary is on Amazon Prime Video. And then you can watch the original 19, was it, what did I say, 53? The 1953 documentary Conquest on Everest. It's on Amazon Prime. I think it's also on Tubi as well and some of the other streaming apps. I think by far this has been the longest podcast episode to date. And I almost think I should have split it into two parts, but it is what it is. And then tomorrow I'll do the podcast episode on Tenzing Norgay. Hopefully this episode saves and actually uploads this time. For whatever reason, even while re-recording this, I was having serious issues. I would save a portion of it, go back, and half of it was missing. So it's taken five times longer than normal. It's almost midnight, and I usually have this done by 9.30, 10.30 max. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, save, rate, follow us on social media. It helps us continue to do what we do with all of your support.
And because a lot of the times the information regarding anything Mount Everest is sometimes contradictory, if there's any corrections or suggestions that you want me to make, go ahead and email me or leave, leave me a message on social media. Oh my goodness, I don't know what's up with me tonight. I've been stumbling on my words all evening. All right, everybody. I hope you have a good rest of your week and see you next week.